You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey everybody, welcome to Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and joined by Sexy Irish Sean, and actually, Richard has changed his name to Nigel, moved to the UK, started a shipping company, and it is uh, Nigel Matthews here with ship quest he's not really richard i just want to be clear about that but he is an awesome guest and we're really excited to have him you are on all sorts of quests you are on a trade quest you are on a game I quest am. and you're yes, on a they, ship they, quest they, they, uh, why don't you turn sorry, in your quest oh, we call it the quest family we can't just bizarre <laughs> because we were going to rebrand the, okay. the true story and we've got to call because we weren't going to split companies we're going to call ourselves the, the quest family group but we can't call ourselves a group because we don't have individual companies, we have just have divisions. So we were going, but 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 we were doing uh, the quest family. So there we go. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, there we go. And it's really, it's really bad because we were awesome. we used to be called Celestial Games and Books bizarrely, and then we had a brand guy come in and he said like, um, you know, come up with a name. And I think um, I think it was my wife at the time just happened to browse across the games and said, well, what about a quest? And we all went, oh, we like that. Um, and we went with that. Games are brilliant. They <laughs> yes. conjure all sorts of creativity and inspiration. Yep. But there we go. Yeah, company names are interesting because you're you're always like, all right, what what would be a good name that would appeal to our target market that we'd like, and this and that. And then it really just boils down to what dot com <laughs> is available on GoDaddy. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh. oh no, that one was. Oh, that's yeah, like ten thousand dollars. Forget that. You know, deliverance.com is like $66,000. Well, cool. Yeah. So on this episode, we're going to talk all about shipping as much as we Indeed. can possibly fit because in. Because it's a very exciting subject, Andrew, and people love to hear about it. You know, everyone always complains about fulfillment and shipping, but I actually will probably also complain in about... I don't know, six months or so. It's a difficult process, a really challenging process to navigate. You, There are so many pitfalls where you can lose a ton of money. You can turn what you think is a very profitable Kickstarter into something that extends your credit line and <laughs> causes you to fall further into debt. And a lot of that can be done through shipping or mismanagement of this fulfillment process. And thankfully, we are joined here by Nigel, who is an expert in this area and manages international fulfillment um, for a lot of companies. And their company's name GamesQuest is how I knew them originally. But ShipQuest is a division that they, they've started. And I guess GamesQuest is probably like the big kind of parent brand. And that's why mo a lot of people know it. But you've been doing this for, I mean, a decent amount of time. Uh, actually, from what I remember, a little longer than Quartermaster Logistics, right? Uh, a lot longer, actually. Um, we've been doing it for seven years. Um, in fact, QML came along a couple of years after us. And uh, funny story, while we were looking for a US partner, because we have a lot of US um, publishers, and, and obviously publishers going back the other way. And we spoke to a lot of people in the industry. And, and finally, we... we bumped into Jerry and at, at Essen actually and sat down with him because we were looking for a partner that had a, a similar way of doing things to us um, and understood that market because why people I think find it so difficult is because they don't work with the right partner and that's a shameless plug and I'd be openly to do that mm -hmm. but the way that we model ourselves we plug ourselves all the time oh, no, right? by my marketing right. services uh, absolutely um, and, I, and I call myself <laughs> what, do we, what do I call myself and, and the reason we moved away from GamesQuest and finally ShipQuest is you know, you know far bigger now than GamesQuest um, ever was really in terms of its growth but we wanted to 
distinguish because people would go, you know, give a give. Games Quest, which is our retail division, would get like a maybe a negative feedback or vice versa from one customer. And we go, well, actually, Games Quest is not about the fulfillment. That's about the retail. You're complaining about the retail, or somebody's complaining on the retail site about the fulfillment. So we kind of went, well, we need to rebrand. We need to, uh, you know, separate them out, um, which is why we came up, obviously, with the name ChipQuest, um, which was because ChipQuest.co.uk was also not taken, which helped. Um, and it didn't cost that's me amazing. a fortune to take that. But anyway, but that, that's kind of where, where it was. And, and and it's very interesting in terms of the way Quartermass have done it, which is similar to ourselves, is and which is why we work very well together. Um, is, is that is that a kind of project management approach? Because people go, well, what, oh, you just do shipping. Well, actually, we do more than that. We are a uh, we're a Kickstarter um, project. Um, logistics partner um, and we emphasize the word partner because um, you know for us it's the same thing with QML is we are not revenue driven we're parcel driven um, we make the margins based on a, a flat fee per parcel so it, it, when I charge something 20 quid or 30 quid or fiver I make the same margin so therefore we're, we're we are backer driven parcel driven so by partnering with people and helping Along, I think we've done about. I think we were talking to somebody earlier on, and we I think we've done about three to four thousand actual projects, and we have a lot of repeat customers. So we've we've listened to how they've done things, we've listened to what they've done, or or what's working and what's not working. So we can add value to that whole chain, if you like, from before they even launch a Kickstarter to when we deliver it and and beyond, um, in terms of. What, what what maybe works or what doesn't work because Kickstarter, as you know, um, has evolved. You you can't yeah. you cannot you cannot um, throw a game up there, think it's a good idea for that to work. It doesn't that doesn't happen anymore, you know. So you know. But Frosthaven, though, <laughs> kidding, you're kidding, right? That was that was not just a fly by night accident. Sorry. They they earned that right. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they earned that right because actually they they divined the size of the game. Saying that though, saying that, and I make this um, analogy: the um, the lucky lucky duck dice. I don't know if you saw the l- lucky duck dice, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, um, quirky, really cool things like that, which I would have thought, <laughs> yeah, right. And I put let's put a little yellow duck inside some dice and let's sell that. <laughs> what a great idea! Yeah, right. Seven thousand people thought it was a brilliant idea, and that didn't take a lot of marketing. <laughs> that didn't take a lot of anything else. It just grew organically by itself. Yep. You know, there's a small the percentage of that, that that happens these days you knew you've mm-hmm. really got to you've got to what's I, what's I like to say plan to succeed not plan to fail and and there are so many different right. moving components isn't there from from you know, mm-hmm. design to marketing to launching to uh, you know yeah yep. uh, and that's what good companies yeah, like me and qml do but, uh, but yeah. it's so interesting because a lot of the time you know we'll we'll we work with a variety of uh, clients with a variety of different uh, levels of experience. A lot of the time, you know, we'll work with uh, first-time clients, people who have done, let's say, maybe a handful of games, and then also the th- a third group would be very, very experienced people that we should probably be shining their shoes because they have that much. They're that seasoned in the industry, right? Oh, yeah. And and so the people who are, it's their very first project, often treat a game like it's their baby. It's their passion project. It's the thing they've worked on for too long kind of um, talking about myself here in some ways, but they have a lot harder time accepting that it could possibly just be moderately successful or maybe, 
it won't fund or yeah yeah maybe it'll fail right that's the reality though isn't it andrew you look, look at kickstarter go just just it's, it's a reality check i'll say this but look look at look mm. at what's on kickstarter and it's it's a graveyard of failed projects there's more failing projects yeah. on kickstarter than there are on ones succeeded yeah absolutely and another thing about the ones who succeeded uh i was just talking to a uh, to a friend of mine who launched a successful project on kickstarter called dungeons of infinity they just got acquired by a company called sky kingdom games and uh they they they, they had a really great game it was a great game they funded uh it was like their goal is like forty thousand dollars and they funded something like forty two thousand dollars it was a a real kind of a miracle, if you will, at the very end, you know, they were like 90%, are we going to do it? And they, they did. And they're like, yay. Well, that project lost quite a lot of money. And it was, it, again, it was a passion project, but the fulfillment and the replacing of uh, parts for, for a month straight and everything that um, had to be done made that project uh, quite taxing the success that they had in the moment after they funded their Kickstarter was probably like, you know, a mosquito bite compared to, you know, the, the train wreck of what happened after that. Right. It's um, one of those things that, you know, and I'm not saying that it was a failure because I don't think it was, they ended up selling out all their copies of the game really quickly and they got picked up by a bigger publisher. Who's going to kind of take it again to Kickstarter and they'll probably make some good money. But the, but the thing is, they didn't do that on their first time around. They actually lost money on their first time around. And they worked to build kind of a brand and a following and prove that their game is good and all of that. Yeah. I always kind of ask people when they, when, before we even launch in terms of Kickstarter, in terms of what, 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 are, what are their expectations? What is their go-to-market strategy? Is it just to do a Kickstarter? And you know what, Andrew, there is nothing wrong with that. In the slightest if you just want to put get your name out there get your game out there and that's it and just do kickstarter that's absolutely fine if you are looking to go to market afterwards and you're ambitious and you want to run your own publishing company and that you feel that this is going to be your starting block then you need to have and devise a go-to-market strategy for after your kickstarter because that actually then reflects in terms of what you're going to manufacture how much you're going to manufacture where you're going to get it manufactured and and what you're going to put in the box what you you know there are other permutations to consider and that way you can't afford to lose money if that if that is is your goal and you you know yes you can use it to raise awareness of your company or brand and to get your name out there but the very minimum you need to be doing is to break it even the minimum very minimum Mm -hmm. um that you do on your first project if that is your ambition if it's not then yeah is it you have a different go-to-market strategy which is just to do kickstarter that's absolutely fine as well so so, so Nigel, I'd just like to, maybe for the listeners, if you broke down the different legs of your company, just so that we know how they differ from each other. So maybe how does, you know, trade quest differ from game quest and differ from ship quest? So breaking that down for our listeners, I think it would be helpful. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the journey starts with ship quest, really, and understanding and helping people with their Kickstarter projects with the logistics being at the center of it. So we can work with people to 
create a logistic strategy for their game. And that could be depend on the weight and where they're manufacturing. That could be localized worldwide shipping, and that, or that could be centralized shipping from a central or one or two hubs, uh, depending on the tax implications. Normally, at the minute, it's like three hubs as a minimum, really. So that journey kind of starts there. But we offer what we call our turnkey solution, which is basically where, where can we help you after that market? So TradeQuest, we set up pre-COVID. Yeah, just before COVID. Yeah, how many people have said that? Um, great stuff. But um, we, we launched it a few months before and it got established. It's called TradeQuest. And that is our distribution division to do that. And we only work exclusively with our fulfillment partners. We won't take to market anybody that's not using our fulfillment fulfillment brand and that is to sell to other retailers to build up a portfolio of of, um, of give independent publishers as well as our publishers a platform you know for retailers to, to buy their game and to raise awareness of their game etc as well um, and more importantly um, we wanted to be a little bit different from your traditional we, we can't compete with the asmodays of the world and that sort of stuff it's not our attention our attention is to give people a platform and our motto is play to sell our motto is we won't send the stock list down to people it'll be you know proper stuff on the website which is tradecost.co.uk but you see that you have a proper pos on there you know proper imagery and that sort of stuff that people can see what it is they're buying to give give uh, retailers that platform to buy and it is a very good platform there's no two ways about that so what that's going to ramp up like the uk for example um is is coming out of lockdown um and we we see that we hope to see that ramp up significantly but we still been trading and it's still been going but we are going to be ramping that up and we've got some really exciting titles to kind of go on there but that's what it's about games quest is about retail games quest is about going to shows and we actually you say about retail being a big company well actually retail now is there to also support that fulfillment section so for example we've got uk expo um, um coming up which is going to happen which is great news for the community great news for the industry and we've booked a publishing village there so we've hired a lot of demonstrators and we um will take the you know we, we pay for the stand and they and and, and we'll sell each you know, little component like a couple of tables plus the cost for demonstrators and we'll take their stock the rather than the retailer or rather sorry the publisher flying over to america with his staff we can hire the staff and manage them for them they have to pay for their space in that publisher village and then the games quest will sell their stock at a, a you know agreed kind of cut i'm able to do that and so and then also getting their stock onto our website um, and onto onto the marketplaces so that completes that division trade quest sells only to the trade and then retail games quest will only sell to the consumer in terms of doing that so it all supports the, our publishers in that fulfillment section because uh, the fulfillment business is now you know five times bigger than our retail division by a long way through your company to have access to shows like uk games expo and essen by itself i mean that's fantastic to have to, to say yeah here take a cut of my game and you fly everyone over to germany or you go to the uk don't forget my games and make sure to oh. wrap everything up put it on pallets and you know? Absolutely. Yeah, we did it bizarrely. Essen is fantastic because Essen is a real buyer show, completely different to Gen Con um, in its mm-hmm. in its, um, its, its the psychology of it all and stuff. And I laugh at a joke that uh, I love Gen Con because Gen Con is a celebration of board gaming, and Essen is like, yeah, come and buy your game, go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Buy your game, get your wallet stolen. Yeah. I, I, and, I, uh... I could be a bit more sweary than that, but it literally is just mm-hmm. almost literally. Mm-hmm. Buy your game, 
go away. Have some good able oh, skivers. Oh, well, you see people coming out in their best of trolleys. Well, I mean, Gen Con, I love Gen Con. I mean, it's a celebrated podcast. We left Indianapolis and there's tables at the airport saying, hey, guys, thanks for coming. Here's some more tables while you wait for your plane. Hey, go and um, go and play some more games. But um, but yeah, wow. But yeah, it's a funny story that because me and the guy actually missed our flight and that too. <laughs> yeah, generally, we missed it by like five minutes because we were playing. We were playing when they launched the new game by Richard Garfield. Was it that that card magic game? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh. It's the the one that doesn't have resource. The that's one right. that doesn't have mana. Yeah, that's right. It's like you can only play one card of a certain color. Yeah, your, your yeah. preset deck. That's it. Um, can't remember what it's called. That's gone my head. But anyway, I didn't enjoy it. But yeah, we were playing that brand new, and it was like, oh, we got to get a flight. And uh, luckily, they managed to divert us to Detroit and then out. But yeah, and all because Indianapolis put blinking gaming tables at the airport bless them uh, but uh, you know, it's magic it's magic that's probably why you didn't like it oh it's magic because <laughs> it made you miss a flight well, probably, yeah that's right um so yeah so that's kind of the different the different quests that we that we do um ship, ship quest now as it's um as its own identity and its own brand because it is purely to do with fulfillment because people were getting confused well what does games quest do you know and like yeah okay mm-hmm. so that's what we did it I kind of feel like the word fulfillment is the best way to describe the process of, you know, once you actually get your, so there's, there's the Kickstarter, then you wrap up all of the design and send your files to the manufacturer. Manufacturing begins when manufacturing ends, fulfillment begins. Shipping is just kind of a part of fulfillment. And even after the shipping is complete, fulfillment, some uh, oftentimes is ongoing because there are, replacements that need to be made somebody's box gets crushed by a really really upset ups guy or whatever (laughs) you know i mean i had friends that worked at ups and uh that worked as night uh packing um you know guys that would pack the the containers and whatnot for um uh whatever the trucks and they told me that every once in a while they would just get just go crazy completely crazy and full-on kung fu muay thai nia box and jump into a bunch of boxes doing the people's elbow and that's where the dents come from it's not like you know oh no the box fell off the conveyor belt and got a dent it's like no that was someone's elbow or forehead that just slammed into the box and um we had a fun sometimes that uh, happens. We, i mean yeah i mean fulfillment starts from the when it's leaving the manufacturer because you how do you get it from the manufacturer to to the hubs and a lot of people don't want to learn the dark art of freight shipping whereas you know we have so we can help mm-hmm. and support in terms of doing that to when it gets there now it's really interesting you know from what you call your typical e-commerce fulfillment company and there are many out there and when you and, mm-hmm. and i had one this morning with a customer of mine for the new customer goes well yeah these guys are cheaper no they're not they're not cheaper not when you add in all the costs that extras they're going to add to you but they cannot these these companies cannot project manage your project cannot identify cannot sanity check your your address changes cannot validate your data and all of this sort of stuff you have to do that yourself otherwise and this is and this is Mm -hmm. all the important tracks because ultimately um like you so andrew you're going to do hopefully you do your logistics with me and then you're going to do an expansion and we're going to give you Mm -hmm. such a great journey or as best journey we can give you that you'll come back and do your next kickstarter and we understood that you as publishers are are our lifeblood you know as i said to you you know my dr finn games is my original customer it's still with me after seven years i mean 20 projects in so that repeat business is really important to me your backers are equally important to you as repeat business and as as 
as a specialist company, we understand that. We understand that, you know, the packaging, validation of data so that it doesn't just get returned because it, you can't send a P to a country with a PO box, for example. But it's really important that the packaging comes. We had a customer the other day who sent us pictures of the box being disintegrated. Okay, box was disintegrated. And at the end, he went, but everything inside was fine. And we went, great. The packaging did its job <laughs> because for exactly that, you cannot legislate for somebody who's going to pile drive into a couple of boxes or throw it off the lorry and it and get done. But we just went, why are you complaining? The packaging has done its job. And that's what it's there to do. We do sometimes when we get up there, we, we have a mezzanine and we literally package something and throw it off the mezzanine for a distress <laughs> technique. We do. Um, you know, um, and we send pictures of the packaging. We send pa- pictures of the packaging to to our customers say are you okay with that is that what you want is that what you want because that'd make a great facebook ad if you recorded yeah, a video absolutely and um and, and and the reason for that is is that because your backers and when we first started our damages were like 1.5 and we've got better and better over the years i think it's like less than half a percent now in terms of in terms of damages and because then your backers have a good um have a good um a, a good um, experience and guess what when you do your next kickstarter we've learned the hard way when, when we grew we grew way too quickly about four or five years ago and our reputation took a little bit of a nosedive because because we were so busy that we couldn't keep up with it all and we invested very heavily in, in project managers and staff and we've just got better and better and our reputation now i've got to say is pretty damn stellar because we understand we have our blog page and on that blog page is a schedule of where every project that we're doing at what point it's in you know Mm-hmm. You know, we get like something like 15,000 hits a month off that blog page because people want to read it. You know, they like to read it. They want to know where they are. Um, and so, again, it's about communication to your backers. Give your backers as as a good of experience as we possibly can give to you and your backers if we can. We can't control everything. You know, we can't, you know, sometimes yeah. we're there and we're going, the publisher hasn't paid us or the publisher hasn't given us data. So we don't want to throw people under the bus. And people go, well, it should be out Throw a package now. off. And we go, oh. Throw a package off the mezzanine. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> but, uh, we're, waiting, we're waiting for them to do this and we can't tell you that we're waiting. But yeah, generally people kind of love it. And so it's that. Every hour you do not pay, we are throwing another package <laughs> off the mezzanine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a really good idea. I think I'll put that, put that, put that, put that in terms and conditions. And that's the difference between your regular average kind of e-commerce company and a specialist company like ourselves who mm. understand. We're all board gamers, by the way. I board, I pay board games. My my brother, who, who helps in the sales, pay board games. The CRMs, Amy and Chris, play board games. You know, the project managers all play board games. Even my finance uh, controller, Jilla, plays board games. You know, you, we... Yeah. we and we all, I'm 98% of the projects we do are board games. So, uh, but yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that um, that's actually been really important for, for us. You know, Sean and I are in Rick are just huge board game fans. Ryan, who we just hired, he, he's a huge board game fan. And everyone except for Rick has done Kickstarter projects before, like their own, their own, well, rather board game design projects. And um I thought that that was really important. You know, if we're going to market board games, we need to understand board games, what makes them 
um, work, what makes them marketable, and uh, you know we need to understand this world. It's it's a very interesting niche, I think. I, I think so, and that's why we um, you know we we kind of bumped into you because I was talking to so many people and um, and they would you know and you've got the uh, you've got some big companies out there who do commission only type of um, marketing, and and um, and we kept coming across your name and um, you know new new um, newbie publishers were going oh yeah I use next level web and I'm I hold on who are these guys and um, and to be honest, well, we had to have a meeting with you because of you know the results that we have. And instantly, when we saw Deliverance behind you, when you saw your board games, we went oh, fantastic. Not just a marketing company who you know what to do about social media optimization, but understand that board game, that board game market. And um, yeah, yep. it, it, it helps so much. Yep, Keyforge, by the way, Keyforge was the name. Keyforge, yeah. <laughs> the Richard Garfield game. It. Hate it. I yeah. love Richard Garfield. Can't stand that game. <laughs> Keyforge <laughs> made me miss a plane flight. Yeah. This game sucks. So, Nigel, how how has Brexit put a you know a span on the works for shipping? Has it made things more complicated? Has it made things easier? What's the story around that? Oh, wonderful Brexit. Um, well, pre-Brexit was incredibly stressful, and we had a choice to either rely on what we call duty paid shipping, DDP shipping. Or um, we needed to expand anyway. Our warehouse was, was at capacity. We, we used third-party warehouse. And we knew that in order for us to expand our business, we would need to get a bigger warehouse. And we, you know, at the time, Cashflow did not really um, provide us to do that. So we went and found we, – we, I scoured Europe, um, Holland, Germany, for a, a partner – that wasn't just a partner that I could just outsource like like QML um, uh, or, or something like that, but I could truly partner with and 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 I could own uh, as much of the process as I possibly could, and uh, but also could go along with the values that we provided. And I took a long search, but we found a partner in in Germany that in effect that it's their warehouse and they pick a pack and their staff, but everything else belongs to us. Customer services, uh, we we own the postal contract with that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that has worked and we have full integration. Our, our, our portal, Shipquest uh, portal is kind of, you know, way ahead of our competition in terms of transparency and visibility and control that we give to our customers. And and that fully integrates. And so we control all the orders, everything. They do all the pick and pack and stuff. We have the postal contract uh, with our postal company in Germany. So, and that, that has worked out far better than I ever expected it would in terms of that 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 partnership that we have and they have a like massive warehouse and they've actually but we we won a massive contract and they've actually extended that warehouse and they have the facilities to do that so my Brexit solution was sorted um, my Brexit solution is absolutely fine we have now two hubs we have a warehouse in Germany and we have a warehouse in the UK so Brexit custom we shipped our German warehouse um, everything's the same and we do custom friendly shipping within within the EU rate and the same way with the uk the the biggest headache has come with the changes in in the vat laws and the vat regime you know people would in the past be able to pay the vat at the border um, as the supply point of that vat and not claim that vat back so they pay their supply back at the border which which well you talk to some back consultants it doesn't mean they shouldn't back register and others say no, that's fine um, but ultimately um the vat laws in the uk change in january and the vat laws in Europe change on July the first. So basically, what does that mean? It, it's it's a it's um you know people moan about it, but when you actually understand why the UK government and the EU government have done it, it's um you, you go yeah you know what it's fair. So ultimately, in a nutshell, wherever you've sold a product, 
no matter what platform you sold it, no matter how much you've sold it for, or or how you've sold it, or where you've sold it. I can't, I can't add more adjectives to this, but ultimately, you as the publisher have a fiscal responsibility to charge VAT, to collect the VAT, and to pay that VAT to um, the British government and to the EU government. Simple as that. That you know, I, I've got people who try to circumnavigate around and get referred back to me, and then my, my regular, my normal regular customers go, "What are you doing?" And they say, "Well, we don't like the fact you're making this VAT register." I am not making you back register. The law is making you back register. Not me. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm not the big bad. I'm not like Donald Trump, Boris Johnson. Not me. Okay. Anyway, um, so so that's that's it. So yep. which essentially is that um, political quest. Yeah, I almost feel like I'm that quest to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, <laughs> uh, or Tesla. So um, so you, you you have to back register. It's as simple as that. You're going to have to VAT register because and everybody goes well. Can I can I send duty paid from the UK to Europe? Maybe maybe you might be able to. But we currently, myself and my couriers, are not giving me a clear answer because of the back changes that are happening on July the 1st in Europe, whether they can clear into every single country and therefore be able to do duty paid from the UK and therefore avoid the the, the, you know, the ability to have to back register. And, 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 that's not, yeah. and, and that actually contravenes why the EU is setting this up. And ultimately, it's all to do with Amazon sales and eBay sales and stuff where international, you know, Far East um, merchants would... Co- send their products into Amazon or other stores or other warehouses, sell locally, but because they're not a registered company, not to pay VAT, which puts the local merchants at a 20% VAT difference. They're already at 20% uncompetitive edge. When you understand that, then you go, you know what, if I'm a merchant and I'm a business in that country, I would exactly want this law, and 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 it's a fair law in terms of in terms of why they're doing it. So once you understand yeah. that, it's like, it's, hold on, hold on a minute. You, it, oh, it's going to cost me X thousands of, um, of dollars to get back registered. Well, yeah, but you need to pass that cost on. You need to build that cost. You need to budget for it and build that cost. And if that means your game is going to go up by a couple of dollars in order for you to, to do that. And, and people go, well, I just want to turn to Europe. Well, and you can't, well, fine. Goodbye. Goodbye to 35% of your Kickstarter market then. Because that, yeah. that's going to put it. And- yeah, so there was this thread actually um, recently in a popular uh, board game marketing or, uh, you know, like a Kickstarter game advice group and um, just on Facebook. And it was, hey, you know, EU and the UK and, and, and everything with everything happening there, it's just more expensive to get product there and more complicated. I'm just going to only sell to the US. It's not like people in, you know, the largest gaming market in the world, Germany, are going to stop playing games. They might stop getting some some of the American publishers that are that, that don't want to grow, but I I just feel like as an international I mean board gaming is an international pastime that I I kind of feel, you know, and and I mean markets like Germany and you know for me D- Deliverance is a very text heavy game. So it's got a lot of English in, you know, on all the cards and everything like that. The EU English is like practically the first language there now. I mean, it's the business language of the EU and a lot of people know it. 
and especially Germany. Germans are better English speakers than I am, you know, so, by far. So it's interesting, it's and, I, and I do share this, that the German board game market, if you were to sell a thousand games, say One Night Werewolf in the UK, and I ask this question frequently, how many do you think you'd sell in Germany if it was in a German language? And people typically go, oh, about the same, 500, maybe whatever. And they fall off the seat when I say, well, try 10,000 try 10,000 games if it was in German language. Now, if you go on to yep. Bigger Cake, uh, which is a great um, Kickstarter scrape um, software, and look at The Witcher, uh, which is, which has launched uh, which launched on the 25th of May. It's been two days. It's got somewhere in the region of 27,000 backers right now. And when you look at the community, it shows you where it is now. They have multiple languages. They have multiple language in terms of their, um, their, their Kickstarter. They currently have, I think, um, uh, in terms of demographics, about 40% UK, uh, US. And then the next biggest country is Germany. Germany's got about 3,500 backers. UK's got about 3,000. France has got about 2,500. And the French market is also huge. If it's, in, if, it's, if, it's, if it's published in France or it's a French publisher, board games are about six or seven times bigger in France than they are in the UK. And everybody looks at this Kickstarter demographics. I think the UK is the biggest market in Europe. It's not. It's the third biggest market after um, after Germany and France. If if you can do a a, a German uh, version or German language of your game, so yes, you do get a lot of backers. You get about the same amount of backers in Germany as you would in the UK, um, but you're only penetrating maybe 20% of that German market by only having it in English. So yeah, it's still strong and yes, it's still played. But when we go to Essen as a retailer, we get people from all around Europe, you know, overjoyed that we have an English reseller at, the, at, at, at Essen. So that's kind of where you're, um, where you're kind of, you're kind of um, at in a minute. The German, ignore that market at your loss, not at your peril, mm-hmm. um, because what you don't, what you, what you've never had, you don't miss. But the potential of that marketplace, if you can do it right and do it well, is is a big market. And 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 just don't take my word for it. Go to Bigger Cake if you've not heard of Bigger Cake before. Bigger Cake is an amazing bit of um, a software yeah. platform. And there right now, yeah. it's it's really actually shocking because so Bigger Cake and now um when we pull demographic data, so location data, a lot of the time it's hidden or you know for one reason or another um, unable to be picked up. So you're not going to get 100% of the data, but the United States is listing 27.7% of all the backers in The Witcher are from the United States. And 11.47% of those backers are from Germany. And uh, 9.6% from the UK, 8.72% from France. These are huge percentages because what really what we have to look at are the ratios. So, you know, for every three backers in the U.S. or let's say every two and a half backers in the U.S., you're going to get a backer from Germany now, and a backer from the U.K. Now you, if, you, if you look at the demographics of a non of, of an English only game, you're, you're looking at a double for the U.S. and you yeah. know, about you and then and then Germany being just about or, or below what the U.K. numbers are. So it yeah. just goes to prove the power of multi multi language games. If you can, if you depends on the game. If you've got a very very text heavy game, then the cost of translation is obviously something that you would need to um, need to factor out. But yeah, that's fantastic. So, so Nigel, when it comes to shipping, what are the maybe the top three things that people need to be thinking about before they go to Kickstarter? Number one, uh, talk to me. Okay, one hundred percent talk to me. <laughs> Number two, listen to me. <laughs> and number three, do as I tell you. Okay. 
<laughs> you know, actually, I want to mention something about this because this is so important. A lot of the time, especially people that are newer into the the whole Kickstarter game, you know, because it itself is a game. You're playing with real money and you're playing with the knowledge that you have, which is not much. You're, as a mentor of mine would say, wet behind the ears. You don't really know what you don't know. And uh, the first Kickstarter project, a lot of the time that it loses crazy amounts of money is because you didn't have anybody to tell you not to do this or, hey, don't forget you have a freight expense or, oh, don't forget you have a VAT uh, registration expense or don't forget if you split a shipment, it's going to cost you more you know, to go here and there than just one place. And so many other things that are just could nickel and dime you going X-Works versus FOB shipping from a manufacturer. Um, you know, I saved 500 bucks because you told me, by the way, make sure you don't get X works, get FOB shipping, just a simple thing in passing that saved me money. I guarantee you by working with you, I would save more money than by not. If you're listening to this and you're a first time creator and you're thinking, oh, I need to go to Kickstarter and make a million dollars with my great idea, or, you know, maybe you know, more realistically, I need to build up and get my name out there and start and, or maybe just see this project come to life. It is so valuable to have a partner who has wisdom in areas that you don't and experience in areas that you don't. And, you know, what Nigel's talking about, just being a partner, you know, my experience with their company, because I do have personal experience with them, I'll be signing that contract here pretty soon, is that they, their experience is invaluable and you need it. <laughs> you know what, in all seriousness, um, uh, Sean, um yeah talk to me or somebody like me if you don't like me because i'm british or i'm welsh um, or I've got red <laughs> you're hair, probably a bond villain. you know or you yeah, that's right or he has a mezzanine I, yeah. you know it's part of an evil lair or can i throw boxes off a mezzanine you know <laughs> there are so many moving parts and and i say to people you know and luckily um through the way we've restructured to try to talk to as many people pre-launch as we can um is because the first thing i say is we got to, uh, particularly in this world of COVID, with surcharge is ridiculous. I used to, I used to be able to ship cheaper to America than my own country. Now with COVID surcharges because of the lack of passenger airlines flying, that that's kind of go to the roof. So having a um, a uh, and I just got the phone just before now and I was talking to a company who launched in two weeks, and they were going to ship everything from the US. And they went, oh my god, it's going to cost fifty five bucks to send that. We need that. Um, and then we talked, and the first thing I said to them was. Well, what's the weight of your game? Then we could talk to them about your logistics strategy because you, your strategy is how big is your weighing, what you're going to weigh, where you're getting manufactured. And from that would stem so much. So your first thing you have to do, whether it's with me or anybody else, um, is work out your logistics strategy because shipping from one location is a non-starter these days unless it's a very lightweight package so understanding what your strategy is means that your the decisions you have you make all the way down the line is do that one thing i will say do not subsidize your shipping do not offer free shipping worldwide whatever you do the amount of people that have come to me you know almost in tears because they've gone free worldwide shipping and that's the worst possible thing you could do for so many reasons a because you then put the margin into your game which means that you're going to struggle going to retail because you've overinflated the price of the game you don't want to ever sell more than you've sold on kickstarter number one number two you're just subsidizing far-flung places um, with cheaper shipping and penalizing the countries where your biggest demographics are us germany europe 
and you're penalising where your main backers are going to come from. And 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 it's not about not subsidising, but certainly that was your, your biggest note about after anybody to do that. I mean, and I had a customer the other day, and when I looked at his shipping template, he was like, no. Luckily, he listened to me. Luckily, he's not doing free shipping, and he understood why those reasons are. And that's, and I, and I suppose, I can't tell you what the best three things are to look at, other than obviously talking to me. Is because it all relies, it all stems from your 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 logistic strategy. Because a lot of people, um, a lot of people. Um, take shipping for granted they take shipping as a necessary evil that they have to charge their customers don't look at it like that look at it as an opportunity and if we can if you can create a really good strategy and understand the pros and cons of localized shipping and what and what the benefits are then actually you can target in and support your backers in those regions with more cost-effective shipping so i say to i choose i try to take people's mindset away from necessary evil to an opportunity shipping is there you can't escape it it's got to be done so how can we make an opportunity so that we can attract more backers and and that all stems down to so then what what are the other things all stem from that one thing um in terms of what that strategy is definitely and you can't wait until your you know kickstarter is launched or kickstarter is finished in order to uh chat with a company like yours because Really what it comes down, where it boils down to the customer seeing your offer, shipping is part of your offer. So the Kickstarter campaign might be the very first time that a customer sees your offer. Hopefully it's not. I'll give a, you know, from my, for myself, Deliverance, I have a lot of people in my social, uh, you know, I have a Facebook group for Deliverance uh, that has like 2,100 people. And a lot of people are asking, what is the price of the game? What is the, you know, what do I get? And all of that. And I have all sorts of other fans answering those questions before I get there. That's really important because um, you, you want your people to know what it's going to cost in order to get the game in their hands so that they can pre-plan. You know, my all-in is going to be $149. And if my people didn't know that, and I, you know, the first time they saw the Kickstarter campaign was the first time they saw that price, they might not have prepared for it. You know, it's something, you know, if, if my all-in was $49 for my deluxe or whatever, that would be maybe a little bit different. But shipping is kind of the same way. You don't want to surprise people with your shipping. You want to talk to your people and say, hey, look, this is the plan. You know, my for, for me, my game, $89.00 for the retail or the uh, deluxe version of deliverance it's going to be i'm estimating nine dollars shipping to the u.s because it's really going to be about sixteen dollars but the uh the idea is i want to put like six or seven dollars into uh you know subsidize it a little bit so that it looks more attractive my offer is you know an 89 dollars game with nine dollars shipping that is more palatable than a $90 game with $10 shipping or $11 shipping. I mean, all of that kind of factors into the customer's buying, you know, decision. And uh, the earlier you can teach somebody what the uh, the plan is, the better. But um, also, if you share, the earlier you can find out, like, I don't like that very much. You know, if, if, a, if a customer or if, if you have a lot of customers say, like, ooh, $29 shipping to the UK, I don't think I can get it. You know, at least you're gonna um, have the information that you need in order to say, like, oh my goodness, maybe I need to make some changes. It's huge, and you know what? And 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 if you're listening to this and you've launched your campaign and you've got it wrong, it's not too late. Uh, it is not too late um, to come to somebody like myself and and to to get you out there and to change. So, 
Next Level Web has partnered with ShipQuest. So now do you want to talk about how that came about and what's involved? Part of the, the process that we give is to analyze what people do for, for uh, yeah, because obviously, as I said right from the beginning, we are parcel driven. So whatever we can do to advise and guide people in terms of how to get more backers. Organic growth is obviously really important. You know, you know, getting your content out there, getting people involved in your project. Because you know, uh, listen, I've learned from the hard way. Um, I did a Kickstarter with a friend, and you know, we got involved in a very large marketing company. We paid an influencer a ton of money, a ton. I mean, like ten thousand dollars the sort of budget you talked about. We didn't get one conversion from it. So I know what I'm talking about when I when I kind of been there. And your golden nuggets, the biggest sense of conversion that we've got, and and that's been matched out by other people, is the people that are on your Kickstarter notification page and your your mailing list. You know, those are the two big conversions. So when people say to you, "Hey, uh, this YouTuber loves your game and they've got two hundred thousand followers," right? You'll get if you have a thousand male subscribers, you will get much more. You know, ten times the amount of conversion you'll get from those two hundred thousand people that are on that YouTuber channel. So, so we try to educate people to say your slope of success is really important. So, so marketing is really important, and it starts with organic growth. It starts with you know um, getting people to buy into your story. I say to people, tell as soon as you get off the phone that you've talked to me and you've talked to a fulfillment company, post it on your social media. Post it on your Facebook, you know, get people involved in your story, in your timeline, all the way down through the line. Um, you know, I spoke to one guy um, a couple of days ago, and he's got, he's done it. He's got like, I couldn't believe it. He's got nearly 3,000 followers, you know, all through organic, and he doesn't think he's doing very well. I think, oh my God, you know, you add some paid advertising on this, you're going to storm it. So, so the fact is, is that's first of all. Now we've we've seen how other people we used um, Backerkit and, and 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 there's other companies out there that offer a social media Kickstarter campaign when your Kickstarter is live in order for you um, to get referrals, which they take a percentage of. Now small publishers who put a budget into that, and there are there is some control measures in there. I get that. But they'll never know what the return. Of. They can't afford to have a return on investment of two, three, three to one. They just can't afford to do that. They're going to lose money hand over fist. Um, and yet we know, right. we know, because we've experienced, we've talked to lots of other publishers, we know that social media optimization and Facebook advertising has certainly in the in the in the short term and I hope and I think now for the long term because of the way COVID has affected people has changed the way that you can get people to sign up. It used to be you're going to go to Gen Con, you're going to go to Origins. You're going to go to shows. You're going to go to packs. You're going to sit there at a table all weekend. You're going to tell people about your game. You're going to go play it, and you'll get lists. You know, people subscribing to you, and that's your was your traditional way of doing it. But Facebook advertising and media, in my opinion, has changed that. So when we went to the market, we were recommending these people, and then we started to come across you guys, and then we talked to you about offering this this um, this flat fee. Um, you go, oh, hold on a minute. Now, if if that was me personally, and I had my time again. And I could go, what's, if I have to spend this market money, and I know I want to because my market strategy is to go to retail afterwards, so I need a bigger company. I need a really good return on investment that I can guarantee. Um, and that's where we felt that somebody like yourself, who, who, who doesn't work on a commission basis but works on a flat fee, will give publishers, particularly smaller publishers, a far greater return on investment on their advertiser spend. It is what you call 
a necessary evil. I don't look at it as a necessary evil. I look at it as an opportunity, an avenue to opportunity that people need to do. So when we looked at your model and when we looked at your ethics and your culture and your your passion for board games, we felt as a company that 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 we could recommend and partner with you to recommend, particularly as we are speaking to a lot of newbie customers, that you could provide a better level of service for people to get a sound return on investment and not sink a load of money and a, at a, at a flick of a coin in terms of other other mediums. And that's not to say that these other companies can't produce the goods, but it's at a higher higher level investment, a higher level of cost um, in terms of doing that. So we, we felt that based on what we were hearing from independent new publishers that were trying to set up, I mean, I think one guy said to me, oh, yeah, I, I hadn't, you know, so that because we were starting to recommend you from other stuff. And he said he'd work with you. And, and he said, oh, yeah, I've I, I worked with him for two months and I've got 780 email subscribers. I'm like, wow, really? And how much did that cost you? And he said, well, that's cost me like $1,000, um, you know, in their fees plus on which advertising. For us, uh, as uh, to be able to work with a partner, for us, that was, um, that was because we want to offer that, that, that turnkey solution. We want to offer pre-advice and guidance and to, to be able to go, please use next level web because if you use them, you'll get more backers. And guess what? Who's going to ship more parcels? Me. So there is a bit, obviously, a little bit of sting in the tail. I want them to use you or, um, and, and marketing because I want them to get more backers because then I will ship more parcels. But I also want them to come back and go, you know what? Nigel's offered them some really good advice and they'll come back and use me again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because the referral whole, I mean, the whole idea behind a referral is that, um, here's someone that I trust and, um, you know, I, I would, let's say handshake my client off to ShipQuest and say, I trust ShipQuest to treat you right and whatnot. That person that is referred off to ShipQuest is going to have, I would say, you know, 90% of the trust that I have for you will be imparted upon them. And, you know, they'll want to do their diligence and, and that kind of thing. If they're, um, you know, worth their salt, they're going to they're gonna um, figure out if it's a good deal for them and so on and so forth. But 90% um, of that trust is is going to be extended. Now, if for whatever reason it, do, it goes really poorly and they uh, get wounded from my referral, then that not only, of, of course, would hurt the uh, person who I referred, but it would hurt me. Yes as somebody who gave poor advice. So it really is uh, difficult sometimes to say, we'll use this marketing company because you had mentioned ethics in this business. There, The ethics are, um, I don't think ethics are written anywhere in this business. It's, um, you know, you have a lot of people that say they are a marketing expert. And in reality, they're the only thing that you can really tell that they're doing for you is charging your credit card. Um, you know, and it's, it tends to be, very um we're, we're, dangerous you're, you're you know? results driven you are a results driven company you have to produce results because you, if you don't produce the results then you won't get any recommendations and recommendations in this industry are absolutely crucial and and, and it's interesting i i had to do a, a speech the other day about what is a what you know i was giving a story about my company to a local business group and about how, how we've grown and how we've succeeded and you know one of the things i thought about well what makes a successful company what makes what makes a successful company well you know if you talk to labor well if somebody who makes money 
well, what if they made that money through um, unethical means, through not doing their VAT returns correctly or through other means that they actually made a half a million pound profit, but actually they did that unethically and they did that unlawfully? Does that make them a successful company? No. You know, it's like, what is a successful company? Well, a successful company, you know, when I read it and I went, actually, OK, a successful company is somebody who can trade ethically, who does morals, um, who, um, who, you know, does it within the laws, um, um, you know, and and actually, um, what's, what's the other one was independent of its owners. And for you guys, that's what ticked my box is that, you know, your love and passion of board games means that your reputation for delivery has to be good. So if you all have a question, make sure you go to crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question and ask there. If it is really awesome, we will feature it on a future podcast. Also, if you feel like you have something to add, something of value that our viewers can uh, can benefit from, feel free to, to go there and pitch us on why you should be on this podcast. Always happy to, to receive pitches like that. Of course, if you need marketing services, go to nextlevelweb.com forward slash Kickstarter. And uh, if you need shipping, go to shipquest.co.uk and fill out a contact form there. Definitely. Did I, did I get it right? I hope Richard, when Richard listens to this, I hope he's proud. All right. Okay. See you later, nerds, okay, next time. You know, nice Thanks. to speak to you guys. Take care.